welcome to Crime Corner, where we examine things, all things crime, whether it be on the page, on the screen, on the street, or in the courtroom. I'm Matt Coyle, author of the Rick Cahill Crime Series, and I'll be your host for as long as it takes. Sorry about the delayed bumper music there. No, I was uh, probably operator error. Anyway, before I talk, introduce my guest tonight. A quick self-promo. Um, I'm I, uh, Blind Vigil. My seventh Rick Cahill novel comes out December 1st, and I'll be doing a interview with Wendell Thomas on Facebook Live for Warwick's book in La Jolla. But enough about me. My guest tonight, Gary Phillips, is the son of a mechanic and a librarian, weaned on too many comic books, Dashiell Hammett, reruns of the original Twilight Zone, very good, and experiences ranging from community organizer, delivering dog cages, to running a political action committee. He has published various novels, written comics, penned over 70 short stories, and edited or co-edited several anthologies, including the Anthony Award-winning The Obama Inheritance, 15 Stories of Conspiracy Noir. He was a story editor on the FX cable show Snowfall about crack and the CIA in the 1980s South Central, where Gary grew up. His latest novel, which just came out this week, is Matthew Henson and the Ice Temple of Harlem. This is, the, this, this is from Booklist Starred Review. Along with a rampaging retro action, Phillips smoothly incorporates biting social commentary on the racism of the era. Henson is a terrific character, larger than life in a movie serial way, and the story's pacing is exquisite. The first installment in a projected series, this is a rousing adventure in the grand pulp tradition. A wildly, a wild, I'm sorry, a wildly entertaining extravaganza that almost demands to be filmed. What do you mean almost? Anyway, welcome. Yeah, no. that about? <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you got it, buddy. I'm glad to have you. This is a long time in coming. So, yeah. Yeah. tell us a little bit about uh, Matthew Henson and the Ice Temple of Harlem, which I said just dropped Tuesday, I believe. Yes, it did. Uh, from uh, from Polis, uh, their Agora imprint, oh, uh, and uh, yeah, all good stuff. And uh, basically, I've taken a real life character, Matthew Henson, and given him the uh, myth treatment as we tend to do with our uh, characters from history, be it uh, uh, Wild Bill Hickok to uh, Bell Star to uh, I guess even <laughs> FDR and, and what, or even John Kennedy. So uh, in this case, Henson was, in fact, one of the six men, uh, Perry and three, excuse me, four Inuit gentlemen, including uh, Utah, who, Utah, who makes uh, an appearance in the book, and Siglu, his brother, and two, and two others, who I also named, um, were, reached the North Pole in uh, 1909 after several attempts. This was, I think, the eighth attempt in which they finally reached the pole. And long story short, Henson did not get the accolades due to him, due him that Perry got, and certainly nobody remembered the four uh, Inuit uh, Inuit guys. So, in, so for whatever different reasons, I you know I knew about Henson for years, and 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 because I sort of dabbled in various genres from you know hard boiled to to sci fi and pulp, I. Um, I finally then read his, in 1912, Henson had published a, uh, it's not really a biography, but it's kind of a memoir of, mm-hmm. of those attempts to reach the pole, the North Pole. And there's some pretty, there's some good stuff in there, but not a lot of, not a lot of meat. But as it happened, um, the introduction to the edition of the book that I have, it's, it's called, the book, the book is called a, a Negro Explorer at the North Pole. Mm-hmm. And, but the, uh, the man who wrote the introduction to the, to the edition I have, S. Alan Counter, who was a uh, 
Professor, Har- uh, uh, I think he's a neurophysicist, uh, oh. professor of hard science uh, at uh, Harvard. Uh, he's he now has passed as well, sure. but he was something. He was something of a hintsonologist, and 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 he hinted in the introduction of some stuff that had gone on during the expeditions uh, that Hinton didn't get to. And then so Counter has a book. Uh, the subtitle is Black, White, and Eskimo at the North Pole. And, and he talks about the yeah he talks about the fact that that Hinton and Perry you know the, you know their you know their long uh, long nights you know the six month long nights at the North Pole. Uh, so the, both, both Hinton and Perry had uh, some Inuit kids that uh, oh. that, that that neither one talked about in their official <laughs> in their oh. official books. <laughs> so Counter actually in his book part of the book is about him going back up to. This part of Greenland, which is like you know, sitting right below the North Pole, and finding this was in the 80s, 1980s, and the kid, and the the kids, the sons were already in their 80s. Finding yeah. these these two sons, the two surviving sons, because Perry actually had two children, but the daughter had died some years before, and brings them back to the states, and they get feathered and stuff and what have you. So anyway, and 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 then it also turned out that by the way, when they were, when in the real expedition, uh, uh, Perry and Henson. Had found, or there was a meteorite that had crashed in this in the yeah. village, like you know, you know, years, uh, ten, you know, ten thousand years before, whatever the heck it was, because mm-hmm. they when they were in the village, they noticed the 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 guys were using uh, iron tools, but there's no iron deposit, you know, supposedly there's no iron deposits up that way, but the iron, mm-hmm. of course, had come from this meteorite. So anyway, all that to say is, so what the what the what the with Hinton having so Hinton had been married twice, but he never had children by his uh, by the women here in the states. But he, he did have this Inuit kid. He did and he had this, you know, meteorite that they actually did bring back pieces of. It was a huge thing mm-hmm. uh, to actually help further uh, uh, finance uh, more of their expeditions. So I thought, well, those now we got to start to get some real elements. And so then I took all that and put Henson in the mix of uh, sort of the tail end of the Harlem Renaissance, which would have been ni- which is 1928, so this is right before the crash, right before the Great Depression. Yeah, uh, prohibition prohibition is still on. Uh, Queenie St. Clair, who was a real person, uh, Stephanie mm-hmm. St. Clair, is one of the uh, one of the uh, bosses of the numbers racket. Dutch Schultz, another actual character, right? Uh, All right. Uh, who is who is trying to muscle in on the numbers racket uh, from 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 outside from the Bronx. Uh, Bessie Coleman, who was like the first black uh, female aviatrix to get her license in, Amer- in America, even though she had a study in France, and uh, and Nikola Tesla, why not? Why not Tesla? Uh, all sort of uh, are in the mix in in uh, this kind of uh, purposely over the top story, but hopefully grounded a little bit in uh, in some realities of the day. Yeah, it's, uh, you just mentioned uh, all the uh, true-to-life characters that I was going to uh, mention in one of my next questions. But um, yeah, yeah. so you get you just you told us how well, you told us kind of what happened and so, how you sort of got there. But why did you you're going to tell this story? And it's and the, you get the feeling of the um, the Harlem Renaissance and the time. Here's the thing that got me is because I don't even know what the thing was called when um, I was reading something and it said um, Eiffel Tower phone. So I had to look yeah. it up on of course, and I saw I go, oh, yeah, I never knew what those things were called. It's just like the older yeah. phone. And those, those things are so I mean, there's so much 
cool, so cooler looking. I like to have, I like to have one of those. But um, exactly. why exactly. did you choose but this time period? And if you're going to choose this time period, why did you decide to go with a real historic person? Yeah, I, yeah, I, you know, I, like I said, I, I, Matt, I guess I, I got kind of uh, fascinated by Henson because of these uh, these actual aspects of his life, and uh, and uh, you know when the you know when the legend and the truth collide, put, put, print the legend. So, um, and I've certainly made up, you know, I've certainly made up my, you know, plenty of characters as we all do. But I just thought, well, it would be kind of interesting to kind of, uh, what's the word they use now? Retcon, retcon this character, retcon this guy, um, because there's a little, there's a bit of name recognition with him. Even if people, even if people don't really know who he is, they they, they kind of maybe have heard the name. Exactly. And so and you know, and so and I just thought it'd be a fun thing to do to to kind of uh, you know pluck him from obscurity because really he because in 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 reality. He actually did live at Harlem. Actually, when he when when he when they returned to the states, uh, he was actually fettered in in Harlem. He was given his accolades there. He wasn't given accolades in the greater uh, sort of uh, arena or world, but he was right. fettered in Harlem. And he, and he winds up actually working as uh, in the custom as a clerk in the in the customs house there in Lower, in Lower Manhattan. And the custom, and I put the customs house in there in the in the story as well. Um, and and he retired fairly you know fairly obscure. And uh, and with a uh, with a really crappy <laughs> pension, uh, so I don't know. And I guess not. You know, and I just thought, well, it'd be kind of interesting to kind of reinvent this guy and and, and take him and and put him in the sort of the Doc Savage Indiana Jones uh, mold, and 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 kind of make him uh, you know make him larger than life. And uh, I don't know. I suppose to a certain extent, give him give him give him the props he never really had uh, that he deserved. You know, in uh, in reality. Uh, I also got just what struck me a little bit was kind of like the, the movie Rocket Man. For some reason, I kind of had that vibe too. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the, rock, the Rocketeer. Rocketeer, that's it. Yeah, thanks. Rocketeer. Rocket Man. It's something completely different. <laughs> Rocket Man is different. That's right. There's, 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 there's probably something of that in there too. <laughs> so as I'm reading this book, it's like an exciting history lesson, and we already mentioned all the other. Um, real characters you, you brought in. So, yeah. so like every time there'd be an, another new character, I look up the name to see if I'm missing something. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, so obviously just from the first answer you gave, how deep you went, you, uh, you, you did a extensive research. What was that like? Um, how many different avenues did you have to go down to, to get what well, you wanted to get? Well, you know, as you know, man, I mean, research, you know, is its own drug, man. I mean, you can, you know, uh, fortunately, like I said, fortunately, I, I actually had, you know, uh, I read Henson's book and then I read Counter's book and then, uh, then you know, there's obviously some stuff you can find online. And then of course you can go down a rabbit hole of all that stuff because, you know, once you, you know, you, you read some little interesting tidbit <laughs> while you're trying to find one right. thing and then you, know, you go off, <laughs> right. You go off, you go off on that thing for you know 20 years and you come back to, Oh yeah, I got to write the, write the book. And I, well, also too, because I, I have uh, on my shelf a couple of books about the Harlem Renaissance and I've, I've, I've used a little, little bits and pieces of, of some of the Harlem Renaissance and, and other other work and but I've always had these books as kind of reference material uh so this uh so I think all of that came together uh so that to some extent yes I, I did a bit of a deep dive but but in the end you know recreating a lot of things I'm 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 
you know, so it's it's a work of fiction, right? So so I'm I'm fooling with time periods. I'm fooling with, um, uh, you know, certain realities. I mean, uh, not to give any much away, but but it is but it is actually true that 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 Dutch Schultz and and, and, and Queenie St. Clair did go up against each other. Uh, yeah. There's a there's a movie from the '90s called Hulum, uh, where um, uh, Lawrence Fishburne plays Bumpy Johnson. Uh, and Cecily Tyson plays Queenie St. Clair in the movie, but she's not given much uh, to do uh, in that movie. So again, I think I guess I thought, well, I'm going to take this other person who's been kind of left on the sidelines and, and kind of put them a little bit more, you know, uh, uh, not necessarily front and center. I mean, I guess I guess Henson is the one front and center, but certainly she she plays a more uh, driving role. Uh, in this story, I thought that when she got in Hulu, and apparently there is some. I, I was reading not too long ago. I, I guess that there was a. There's some notions that HBO is supposed to be working on a miniseries about her because she was a very fascinating, very fascinating person. Uh, anyway, yeah. so all that to say is that um, once right. So as you know, once you, so once you start to research these these people, and you know read things about them and and you know their personalities and how they reacted to to pressure. Uh, you know, you can't you can't help but sort of uh, you know be fascinated with them, but fall in love with them to a certain extent, and then and then you think, well, what happens if I put them all you know together in some kind of way? What happens if uh, you know their lives intersect in some some fashion or another? And so I think once once that came to my mind. Oh, and I should also say another real thing that I use in the book is yes, Queenie Queenie and uh, Bumpy and these other folks were. You know, we're gangsters, right? I mean, they made their living in, in illegal ways, uh, but they also understood that because of the larger society, um, you know, they they gave back to a certain extent. It, it, you know, it is the fact that they invested in businesses uh, in Harlem and black businesses. It is the fact that they gave loans when uh, folks couldn't get loans from, uh, you know, banks uh, right. downtown, right? So, so that you know that, that 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 there's a reality there. There's a there's something there. So I wanted to touch on that as well. Not not to say that there are angels. They they, they certainly were not, but they were also cognizant of uh, you know of the time period they lived in. Right. I just speaking of like the rabbit hole one because I had to look up Queenie Sinclair. Um, it kind of sounded familiar, but I looked her up. Yeah, and uh, I, I think some of the parts I read is that she, um, like, she would write uh, letters to the was it letters to the editor, um, <laughs> like complaining about the yeah how about these cops I got to keep right paying that was off. The cops. yeah yeah exactly exactly God, she had a uh, damn she had some balls she had some balls she did she did <laughs> all right so as the uh, as and once again the book list book list starred review it said you smoothly incorporate biting social commentary on the racism of the era so what's your thought process when you're weaving social societal issues into stories but they're not really the main they're not really the upfront part of the story but they're important um in the milieu but really aren't the focal yeah. point how do, what, how do you how do you do that how do you think about it well i, I think the idea being that uh, you don't want to, or I don't want to be on a soapbox. I want to be, you know, the character has to, you know, stop and give you a speech about <laughs> the evils of racism and the downtrodden, the blah blah blah. I mean, it's just, it just, but it's just you want to, um, you want it there, and you want it. Uh, your characters are buffeted by it or affected by it. 
but they don't. It doesn't immobilize them. It doesn't make them, uh, you know, uh, uh, cur- curl up in a ball in a fetal position and, and say, "Woe is me." So, yeah. so, yeah. So I, you're right. I mean, I, I guess that's the point. I mean, I guess I always think about that. Now I think certainly more than I thought about it. Maybe, uh, my God, is it over 26 years? Yeah, over 26 years ago, when I wrote my first novel, which is set, you know, in the aftermath of uh, of the events of '92, the Rodney King riots here. Rodney King, yeah. Um, uh, which was, I think, a bit more preachy than I than I than it should have been. But then I was young and on on fire. Sure. Uh, yeah. First so I, I think certainly. Yeah. And so I think having some novels under my belt and, and time and all that stuff has has given me the opportunity, and obviously you know reading other people's stuff and, and what have you. Just the, just the idea that you you want it there, you know it exists. You, you you know you'll hear you know you know and how that Schultz talks or whatever, but right. and, but you don't put a neon arrow to it. You just it's, it is in, it's 1928, so it is in fact how these things existed. I mean, it's, you know, to some extent, I suppose it's even how they exist now in certain quarters. So you, you know, you just you want that to be um, part of the fabric. You want that to be there, but kind of like the city, kind of like. Uh, the places your characters go, which are also part of the the, the characters and, and and something you know about their world. It's just it is it is what it is. It it exists and 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 they deal with it as they deal with it. Uh, but they but they're also understanding that um, to you know to a certain extent there was a kind of not not hermetically sealed, but it, obviously things were different within the confines of Harlem than say the larger you know New York. And even Henson is aware that even Henson is aware. I, you know, I, I was cognizant that he's aware that he is something of a, of a big fish in a small pond, but that he dreads carefully when he's outside of Harlem. Not that he, you know, tiptoes around, but he's under, he understands that that he is not seen the same way. He's just seen as a black man w- walking around other parts of the city, as opposed to he's Matthew Henson in, in Harlem. He's Matthew Henson. Everybody, people know him. Outside of Harlem, right. people don't know him, and he knows this, and so therefore he, you know, not that he's sheepish or anything, but but he's. He's he's clear on 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 how to maneuver, given you know uh, uh, he has to make his way in this in this in a larger context. Yeah, that that. So, uh, so the real answer is I don't. The real answer is I don't put him on a soapbox. I don't I don't try to be preachy, but it is also true that at the time you know there was a lot of political um, uh, uh, firmament about this stuff. So it was so there's you know there's that too. I mean it's not as if people weren't talking about it. It's not as if people weren't you know. Uh, wrestling with these issues, both artistic stuff. Or how, how how did artistic expressions uh, uh, um, amplify uh, political goals? How did political goals amplify, you know, fights for equal rights, et cetera, et cetera? So that's there too, right? I mean, that's that's yeah. all kind of in that in that big mix. It's really expertly done. It, it makes well, thank um, you. Thank you. it doesn't take the reader out of this reader out of the story, but it made me think. Too, so um, yeah. really well done. Good. So for those Good. just tuning in, I'm speaking with not the ghost of um, I'm blanking out the singer. I'm trying to think of <laughs> Barry White. Barry White. Barry not White. the ghost of okay. Barry White with a megaphone, but with uh, <laughs> Gary Phillips, whose uh, latest novel, Matthew Henson on the and the Ice Temple of Harlan, which just came out this week. So I read an interview. That, I thought this was really cool. Um, that your dad used to give you a buck or two of allowance, and I remember those days, and you'd spend yeah. it on comic books. And what I thought was really cool was how your interactions with your dad regarding the comic books helped you become a, become a writer. Yes, 
<laughs> well, you know, <laughs> speaking of the depression, my you know, my dad was you know, a child of the depression, man. So, you know Yeah, and so man, you know yeah, yeah, all right, I'm gonna give this kid a couple of bucks, but you know, I can't be wasting my <laughs> wasting my money if he just if he's just buying these funny books looking at the pictures, man, I mean, you know, so you know, Pop would ask me, he wasn't like, he wasn't really grilled me, you know what I mean? Pop, Pop was a, you know, for a guy who only made it to the sixth grade, Pop was a pretty smart cat, man. And so Pop yeah. would just ask me, you know, he just said, well, you know, what about that? Because now, I'm also prefaced by telling you, you know, where I grew up in South Central, man, you didn't read, in those days, you didn't read DC comics, you read Marvel comics, <laughs> read Marvel yeah. comics. you didn't read, because Batman was pretty silly then, and Superman, all that. no, you read Daredevil, you read Hulk, you read Spider-Man. So, Dark. Captain America, man. So, you know, Papa just asked me, well, you know, what about that latest issue of of, uh, of Daredevil? You know, what happened in it? And, and you know, I'd read it. Of course I read it. I read that damn thing cover to cover, man. And so so I, I was excited to tell my dad, <laughs> you know, what Daredevil was up to, man, fighting the stilt man or whatever. And uh, uh, But I think it helped me to, uh, you know, years later you kind of look back on that. And you kind of, you know, it's before you have these notions of story and synopsis and, you know, pacing or whatever. But – but I really think it helped me to uh, understand something about, you know, story, at least beginning, middle, and end, and, and you know, the, 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 the paces that, that the characters went through because I, 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 would, I, I would love recounting these things, you know, you know, to my dad, you know. And, of course, his motive was, like I said, man, to make sure he wasn't <laughs> wasting his money. But, but uh, for me, it was just uh, – I was great. It was just something, you know, something to share. It was, it was something that, it, you know, something that it lit my imagination. So, of course, and it was just – it helped to it helped to uh, ignite that ignite that fire in me. I guess I guess that's the the, the point. We also said uh, in what I read that it made you think about telling him like the the most important parts, which I thought was really cool for any writer. Like, <laughs> right, right, what right. am I trying to say right. here? What's well, all this stuff in the middle? Uh, right. So, regarding comics, I also read you went to school. You went to school to study graphic design, right? I did. And because you wanted to write comics, but you found out you couldn't draw. <laughs> well, I wanted to write and draw comics. That was my goal. Right. My goal was right. to be a writer, writer, artist. I, I've I've written comics, but man, you know that's that's second fiddle, man. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> you know. But man, I, growing up on you know Jack Kirby and, and uh, Gil Kane and Wally Wood and all these guys, and and then later on, I guess uh, Stranko when he came along on on uh, agent uh, Nick Fury, agent of Shield, who was a who was a writer artist. I mean, you know, those guys are just, you know, gods, man. I mean, the idea that, uh, you know, you could just captivate the reader with these images and, and the way panels, you know, the way you construct panels and what have you. And so, th- and this is, it was, so by by the time I was a teenager, you know, long ago and far away, before we ever had print on demand, uh, mm-hmm. there were fanzines and fan, you know, they were cranked out either, you know, <laughs> on the old Gestetner or in some cases they were. I guess if you had enough money, they some of them were offset. But uh, but that's how I kind of got started as a writer, which is to say I, I tried to break into fanzines, you know, doing my own little comic strips, uh, mm. and uh, um, uh, which were wisely rejected because the art was not good. But but at some point, then I, I finally actually started to get get a little play because of my writing, and so that mm. helped to encourage me at least in that direction, uh, you know. So so I kept going. <laughs> So obviously, with um, with uh, comic books, uh, you've uh, you've edited, you've written seventy short stories. You've edited uh, anthologies. You've 
at least uh, been a story editor for uh, TV. I'm not sure we'll get, we'll get into that. But so all these different mediums, and you've done a lot of collaboration. All these different mediums. Do you have a favorite? No, no, man, I don't. I, I think, uh, man, you know, they're all they're all are, you know, certain similarities, right? Because you still are storytelling. You're still telling a story. And they're all and they're all different. They all have certain demands and disciplines that are uh, unique to themselves. And uh, and I just get a kick. Uh, I just you know, all of it is 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 gravy, man. If if I can you know, write the novel and, and, and do the short story. And, and I just did a, a comic strip online with a buddy of mine. Uh, it's called uh, uh, Lady Gone Missing. It's a kind of a, a cult uh, detective story set in late fifties L.A with a character called Sam Cairo. Uh, so, you know, all of it's just, man, a blast. You know, all of it keeps me uh, uh, char- charged up and, and, um, and I, you know, I guess active. I guess that's the word I want, I mean, at least in terms of the mind, in terms of helping to think visually, helping to think, you know, uh, putting words on paper to help people imagine these things in their head, uh, whatever it is. You know, I've, I've even dabbled in a few radio plays. So, yeah, man, it, you know, all of it, I think, is, is just great, just ve- just vehicles for telling stories. I think I think this that's great. I think it's just grand and wonderful. How did you get involved with the TV show Snowfall? What was that like? Long story. Again, the long story is somewhat short. Uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Mosley just won the uh, uh, American what's this, yeah. American Book uh, Association's uh, grand prize, Poobah Prize. Uh, Mr. Walter. Walt has been on the show since the beginning, and then uh, I also knew John Singleton, now the late, unfortunately, John Singleton, yeah, uh, the uh, uh, filmmaker who uh, was one of the creators of the show, and uh, listen, they just they, they called me in one day, and uh, and that was it. There you go. First time, so, first, in, my, in my golden years, uh, sit, sitting in the writer's room, me and Walter being the old men. Sit in, sit in the writers room with, with a bunch of young folks. So, you've done a lot of collaboration, actually. So, um, and obviously, that's writing TV is a very collaborative process. Yeah. What do you what? Because I, I just write in a cocoon. I can't even imagine talking, working with people. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I might say something about me, but um, so what's that like? How, how is that? Is that is it good for you? To, like a little of this? I'm, I'm writing straight ahead stuff on my own, and I'm collaborating. What's the collaboration experience like for you? Well, I think, Matt, because I had some sense of what that was like. You know, like a lot of people here, you know, I've had a couple of my uh, books uh, option in the past. I've had, actually, I had a graphic novel option. I've had a short story floating around there now. And and because I've had friends who have worked in TV, I had some sense of what that process was like. I mean, that's the the answer. And so I understood going in that um, you – the re- the reality is you throw a lot of ideas out, right? A whole lot of ideas out. Some stuff gets up on the board. Some stuff goes down from the board. We break, as they say, we break the story. Then we got to re-break the story because now it ain't working. Uh, and uh, and I think I think at this stage of the game, I mean, because uh, I'm not necessarily chasing the Hollywood dream, uh, I'm fairly relaxed about it. I mean. <laughs> Like I said, man, a whole lot of stuff gets 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 battered around, and uh, 
and you can't take it personally when all that stuff gets shot down. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, our room. I've heard. I've actually heard horror stories about other writers. Our writers' room is very. I mean, it's hard hitting. I mean, we 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 go at it sometimes. We really do go at it sometimes. And sometimes mm-hmm. we get lost in the weeds, man. And uh, and other times, but the, but uh, to say that at least it's a very uh, collegial is very much a colleague kind of atmosphere. It's very much um, we're all trying to attain that you know the the goal of trying to tell the story in this larger story that we want to do. Uh, I think we we and because our showrunner is a very even tempered guy, we don't lose sight of that. So we don't. I've man, because I've heard some stories that are you know. Whew, <laughs> but uh, but so yeah no it's it's uh, on the other hand it's it's not like I'm you know uh, I mean actually Walt and I actually are, you know trying to sell an idea of our our own and stuff but but so well, it's fascinating to me I mean I, I love it only because you know like a comic book the stuff you write for dialogue in a comic book you see you know it's just a drawing you see this 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 two dimensional character saying it in and in the TV you can see this three-dimensional character say it. So it's just, it's great. It's, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just great. It's just, it's, a, it's just one more charge. It's one more uh, 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 aspect of, of being a storyteller. Speaking a little bit of that, uh, about that, this show has a lot of listeners in various stages of their writing careers, and they like to hear about writers' processes. Or pro- I don't even know how to say the word processes. Yeah. Anyway, processes, so what's your... Yeah, whatever. Outliner, pantser, combination. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm mostly an outliner. Well, certainly when it comes to um, novels, I'm an outliner. And but then I will deviate. Great. I'm, I've just been fit doing the edits now on a on a book I have to turn in in, in February, and uh, I've deviated. I've kept some. I've kept the main structure, right? The main structure of the outline that I sold the book on. I've kept that, but there's a lot of things that that just in a detail way I've deviated from or I've changed because the story, I thought it made it made it for a better story or it, it demanded a certain turn or a certain twist. Um, so, so yeah. So the answer, the short answer is, uh, I'm an outliner, but I don't. I it's a, it's a blueprint, but I'm not. I'm not adhering to it a hundred percent. So you should, I, to me, I think you should always be free to, um, to deviate, to experiment, uh, to free yourself up. If in fact you feel the story is taking you in this way. And then, and therefore, of course, and I, I, I will make new notes and I'll keep new a record of where I'm going. Um, so I want to, you know, obviously answer certain, uh, any, uh, any, uh, plot points that I haven't tied up or threads that I've left, you know, left dangling these subplots I, that I haven't resolved. Um, right. whereas with short stories, I generally, you know, don't outline. I generally just will write down a few ideas or write down kind of the, the driving thing that I want to get to, or at least the thing, the, uh, what they call the inciting incident, I guess they call it, but I don't know if, I don't, I don't even know if that's it really, but it's just the thing. That's that, the only you know, term I know in literature is inciting incident. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's just the thing that kind of kicks it off, and 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 so therefore I, I feel I've always experimented more with the short story form in terms of uh, uh, you know mashup of of crime and sci-fi and what have you. And I haven't done it as much as in novels, but now I think because of Henson and because of some of the other stuff I've been doing with sort of pulp stuff, I feel a little less uh, anchored. 
Um, so, like, I've, in my head, there's been this novel that I've wanted to tackle, and I started started in one direction, and now I'm thinking I'm going to go back to it and, and sort of jettison most of what I didn't do a lot of work, but most of what I had done, and and kind of go back in, and it's going to be a crime fiction story, but I, I kind of want some elements of uh, tech and and what have you, things that I don't uh, necessarily understand uh, in it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, from the, um, I think from what I read on Amazon for the, um, anyway about the book and also book list mentioned. So uh, Matthew Henson is going to be a series. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, as they say, uh, sales will uh, <laughs> sales will dictate its journey. Well, I'll say this much, and, and not to jinx it, but uh, there's already on tap a a kind of further adventure of of Matthew Henson uh, in uh, uh, in not only in my head. I've I've done the outline, and and it, uh, I don't want to jinx it, so I'll just I'll just say that much. I've done the outline, and there's some interest in, it and, and we'll see, and we'll see where that takes me. I guess that's the answer. That's really the answer. Well, the reviews have been nuts. The reviews have been fantastic yeah. from from all sorts of uh, yeah. areas, from different kinds of yeah. people everywhere. So, um, yeah. lastly, how has COVID has COVID had a positive, negative, neutral effect on your writing? You know, that's a good damn question. That I think all the, all right all of us writers are wrestling with, right? I mean, interesting enough, I did I consciously did a a kind of COVID short story for uh, an anthology uh, Lisa McClendon put together uh, uh, called Stop the World. And, and um, I was in that. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly, exactly. So so for that one, it wasn't really about COVID, but it was kind of like a future Twilight Zone kind of thing, right? And 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 then I referenced the pandemic in, in another short story, but as if it was in the past, right? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But other than that, I haven't, oh, I haven't uh, like written a story where people are walking around with masks. I haven't done yeah. that, uh, and so I probably won't. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I will. <laughs> you don't think you will? Yeah, yeah. Although yeah. certainly, although I think, I think it's almost um, well, got you know, knock wood that the, that these damn vaccines will come through. Uh, but I, I, I almost think it's de rigueur that we're going to have to at least reference it or talk about it, you know, if not dwell on it, but at least talk about it. So kind of thinks, because certainly there's a case that now you start to see it come up in, you know, some TV shows where people are mass or they have the zoom yeah. or they did a, there's a clever one on the, what's the, the lawyer show all rise where they did an all zoom show, but acknowledging, you know what I mean? Acknowledging the pandemic, yeah. the court was closed down, but we still had to hold this trial. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm reading uh, Michael Connolly's latest Lincoln Lawyer book, uh, The Law of Innocence, and uh, yeah, I, I it was somehow was on a panel with him. Uh, I'm going to put that out there for uh, a conference, okay. the conference uh, in, that wasn't held but was held remotely in, out supposed to be in Arizona, and we, yeah. we, there was, we talked about that, and he said, yeah, he addresses it, but he writes backward. I mean, like this book came out, and he's talking he's talking about December. Of uh, you know January also of two thousand January two thousand twenty, where yeah. I write forward. So like my books come out. I'm writing about the time period when actually the book comes out more or less. Right. So I had to think about the, the one I'm just I just sent in is where I mentioned COVID, but I didn't really get deeply into it. Yeah, I think a lot right. of people are sick right. of it, but a lot of people also need think it needs to be explored. Anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. how was your production? 
how was your production? Did you use an excuse not to ride, or you wrote more, or what? Oh no, no, I kept. I I was because I think I, because I was actually uh, on on task to get this uh, the book I was talking about. I'm, I'm editing now. Uh, I just found that it helped me to uh, I guess to deal to have a a task to have a. Yeah. Uh, to try to make my daily count. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. that way I think it, it helped me then to, you know, to have something regular to do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So we haven't had any conferences this year, except for the one day here in San Diego, left coast. So has the <laughs> not travel helped your pocketbook, but have you been hurt by not being able to collect your winnings at poker? Is it a watch? <laughs> well, as you well know, <laughs> <laughs> they are meager and far between. So yes, the answer is no. That doesn't hurt me at all, man. <laughs> all right, so I'm gonna mention quickly. Gary and I are gonna do a, a, a remote uh, for Romans sometime in January. We don't have the date yet, so um, we'll both be talking about our new books, and that's gonna be fun. So where there can people go. find you on the World Wide Web? Oh, uh, I have a website that I haven't bothered to uh i shouldn't say yeah. bother that's not the right word but i haven't I been diligent I, in keeping up with but it is uh, I noticed that. uh com. uh i guess it's www.gdphillips.com and uh it has some stuff up on there but it, man i gotta keep uh i haven't exactly been current i get you know where i am current uh, oddly enough i guess it's god dang facebook right i don't even have an office page on facebook i just got a presence on facebook but yeah. I, I guess i'm more or less there and i'm posting there all the damn time right well, when you when you got yeah. seventy short stories, it's hard to keep track. You know, it's a lot going down. <laughs> All right, so my guest today has been Gary Phillips, who's exciting new thriller and it is exciting and it's really well done. Matthew Henson and the Ice Temple of Harlem just came out this week. Gary, I really appreciate it. Um, I actually am feeling a little a little light in the pocket from not taking some winnings at the. Um, of course, we don't play for money when we play these events. It's strictly for That's paper right. clips. That's right. That's right. But anyway. Exactly. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, I know you have to go talk to some other people on your Friday uh, talk with Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Craig Faust. Anyway, so I appreciate it, and everybody go out and check out Matthew Hansen and the Ice Temple of Harlan. I mean, talk about a historically enlightening experience. Well, thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. From, from uh, I guess from that one Matt to the other. Thanks, That's Matt. right. Yeah, I like to have his following. All right, thanks, exactly. All right, man. Talk soon. You bet. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, so uh, that's the show. I'm, I am going to be back in December for sure. I'm going to have Jeff Dossett interview me for um, my book, Blind Vigil, uh, around the 18th or something like that. And uh, I think there's, I've got one other guest in mind before then, but uh, there's a lot of book stuff coming up. So I appreciate everybody um, listening in. I will be let you know on social media when the next show will be. There will certainly be at least one show in um, December. And if you're in a book club and would like an author to answer questions and talk about his work, that's me. I'd love to do it. You can find my email address on my website, mattcoilbooks.com. There's also um, Novel Network on my website, and they do a really good job of connecting book clubs with writers. This is a copy Righted trademark podcast owned solely by the authors on the air global radio network. I will talk to you next time. Thanks. <laughs>